Hey everyone, it's the Hot Brown Morning Potion Podcast with your host Meek and Haley, and we are here with Cam Banks and Dan Telfer, who are work on the much-anticipated Tales of Zadia TTRPG. How are you guys doing today? We are doing amazingly well. Thanks so much for inviting us on. Thank you for coming. And I'm yeah. committing a radio sin, but Dan Telfer's hair is very blue, and it is very nice. Look, I have to do something to make myself feel beautiful when there are no people to reflect it back to me in lockdown. So it's just, it's just, it's just my girlfriend's very nice, but I, I, I need to just go completely <laughs> crazy with uh, self-improvement. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And we've all, I know I've gained, I've gained weight over the year and, and <laughs> my hair got a mess, became a mess for a little while. And so now that we're like, okay, Washington up here is in phase two. Maybe I can pull myself together slightly, you know, before <laughs> summer hits and maybe my sanity people were at it. Um, but we're really excited to have them here. And I'm very interested, too, in getting to see what the what the Tales of Zadia is all about. I definitely looked at a lot of the information as much as I could over the playtest stuff and been watching a little bit of the, the playtest um, Twitch streams. That's what those are called. Um, or YouTube stream, the streams um and cause no, yeah because neither Haley and i are really big into has really ever really played one so yeah no <laughs> only for dragon prince <laughs> i'll do it for dragon prince yeah i'll do it for dragon prince so i'm like i'm very interested so um our first question oh actually we're going to introduce cam and the, cam and dan first cam is the creative director and rules designer of of tales of zadia cortex and dan telfer is the narrative lead um, and that leads into our first question as in, can you tell us what your t- jobs entail? Because they sound really cool jobs, especially the narrative lead. They do sound pretty cool, don't they? Um, Dan, why don't you tell us first what a narrative lead is, and then I'll tell them what I do. Sure. Well, uh, first of all, I answer to Cam. So if he tells me to go first, I go, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, but but yeah, you know, I our jobs overlap quite a bit you know, he does a lot of the mechanics and I do a lot of the story. And then we sort of offer each other a perspective on both for each other. Um, I, it's, it's sort of, you know, both our jobs, of course, to say, immerse ourselves in the Dragon Prince and rewatch the whole thing a few times. And, you know, his job is to sort of look at a lot of the rules and, and figure out how do we take this game system of Cortex and wrap it around it. But mine is uh, and, and of course he'll tell you more about his why do you want to hear me talk about his but but mine is is to take the sort of story that you see in the dragon prince and make it feel authentic when you sit down to play which of course is tricky there's a i don't, I don't sounds like um uh this is this is what you guys are excited about so uh, yeah. i i i really hope that folks like you enjoy what uh what what, what i'm able to do which is take the vibe of the show and get it get it in there because i i don't want it to feel on the rails so to speak i want it to feel like it, it's it's truly the the aura of the show that you inherit and not like a set season or episode that you're forced to play out beat by beat i want it to feel like you're you're dropped in this very welcoming pool and you get to do whatever you want in it the sandbox is yours and uh, i'm doing i'm doing what i can to make that sandbox feel very authentic and all the toys in it should feel like they're you know of the show they're from the same periodic table of elements as the dragon prince that's a great way of explaining that actually periodic table of elements mm. narrative elements that would make a great design my mind is <laughs> in other places um 
that's yeah, exciting arguing about who goes in what spot though i think that's the <laughs> big problem but oh this is true this is true well, i think about uh I think about the science in fantasy a lot. And, and that's always like the, that's sort of like the thing my, I guess my lizard brain goes to is every world, be it fantasy, science fiction, whatever, has got sort of its own elements to it on like an atomic level that are different from ours. And how is this, oh, diff- you know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm a screenwriter actually. And I'm writing um, in my last few classes and I'm really trying to use this as an opportunity because I, I love deadlines. I work very well with deadlines. I, I try to, it, it gets my butt into gear. And so I try to write um, like according to those deadlines, but um, story and structure absolutely is, it's not, all the last my professor say, it's not a science, it's an art, but there's absolutely like, there's a process to it and like thinking about the parts and the pieces. And I'm really trying to use it to, to write my novel that I want to write as a movie first to get those succinct narrative points and adapting things is really hard. It is so hard to adapt one medium to another because you have to understand, and people don't realize you have to understand those separate mediums to understand what works in this medium and why. Like, and I can imagine it's the same for a tabletop RPG. Well, that's the main thing with with what I do is that I've done this for quite a while now. It's, it's adapting media stuff to role playing games, and I see my my job is to take it something that people have otherwise seen or watched or enjoyed in some other form. And give them that set of rules and and sort of the the instructions and guidelines and things to how to play their own characters in those worlds themselves and have a good time and make it feel as if it's actually the same thing. One of the problems we we see a lot in role playing games is that uh, there are sometimes when you try and you know say I like a, a movie I want to turn that movie into a game, they'll take an existing game that they already have and they're familiar with like D and D and just sort of try and bolt the game to the property and make it work and there's a lot of places where it doesn't fit like it doesn't work you can't you know well what what kind of clerics can we have for this well there aren't any or what kind of this can we have oh there aren't any you know so the decision we make a lot of the time with cortex is since it's kind of a huge big set of uh building blocks which ones do we want to use to make say tales of stadia like which which pieces of cortex do we want to use for that um yeah, and I think the, the biggest secret uh, of all is as soon as you start playing it and you feel like you're actually playing in that thing that you love so much, then the rest of it kind of just goes. It just happens. It's a lot easier once you start having that feeling. But kind of whereas Dan's job is to try and sort of weave those that narrative and, and pull the lore in to make it work, I've got to be able to sort of provide the skeleton, right, so that you at least have that ability to feel as if you're playing a game as opposed to, I don't know, you know, some other game that doesn't really feel like Tales of Zadia. Yeah, I, I really feel like it's 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 Cam's job to sort of actually make that periodic table of elements and, and actually make the atoms. And I just sort of hit it with volcanoes and lightning and hope it turns into molecules. And together we kind of look at it and like, oh, did these molecules look like fun? Do they turn into fun <laughs> things? And, and and it is definitely a collaboration in that in that way. It's also my job to oversee the, the publishing process. That's the creative director side of things. You know, I've got art directors and editors and I have to coordinate with printers and all the usual things that go with making books. But it's uh, that's it, that's on top of the design side of it. So, you know, that's the boring side sometimes. You know, put a spreadsheet together, how much does it cost to, to get 
you know this many books printed <laughs> actually i am a i am a designer that is actually what i go to school for i go to school for visual communication design on top of uh three other minors actually um because i'm more college but actually yeah i completely understand what that feels like because we did a um a Raylum uh railing callum zine recently and we just sent it out um we just really sent it out to everybody um not to everybody but the, the customers and so we'll get to the contributors and that is an entirely it, we took like a year to finally get everything done and i was it's not really a zine anymore it's more like a 400 page book because <laughs> that's not really zine that defies a zine anymore no oh yeah you've you've conquered zine this <laughs> that's 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 a tome you could like I, it's like a two pound book it's like you it's an inch thick like you could if you hit somebody with it it could hurt them that's oh my goodness how big, but yeah, I completely understand that where it's like, that's a whole other beast in and of itself. And like, there's, it's project based. Now I have a lot of respect for my professors who tell me like, make sure you type, like you, you name your files a specific way. And it's not for them. It's for me. It's for, it's for yourself <laughs> so that you're not spending like a thousand years trying to find certain files to make sure nothing has been left out. Because like I need this in a certain name format, and there's all type of little things like that in printing, and then there's you got to deal with the printers. So I completely get that, and I can only imagine, you know, what that's like on a day-to-day -day basis. But that's actually my field of expertise. And we do also work with a really wonderful art director, uh, Tina Collier, who's just working with artists who worked on the Dragon Prince concept art, and it's it, there's some just it's so exciting to write something and see it come to life and look like it belongs in the show. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been really thrilled to work with Tina and her artists. Yeah. Going to that yeah. point of view, we need a character who looks like this, just like that. That's all we have in mind. Like we need to have a character from this part of the world. We need to have a character that might be, you know, say uh, a, a dark mage, for example. And then going from that to realization at the other end, when there's a character with an illustration, and it looks like a dragon prince character it looks like someone from the show because the artist from the show did it and we've got all this personality and other things in there that is a weird thing um i would say that's probably the the most dramatic thing that's happened so far with this project is seeing these pre-generated pre-made characters that we've introduced uh become fan favorites for no reason that we can <laughs> I mean, obviously there's a reason, but we're like, wow, you, you folks are really intense and awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what's been exciting for me is that's been, um, as we've been making those public, uh, a, a way like more thrilling aspect of it than I was expecting. You know, I, I my role playing experience is largely like there's a world and then you're really stoked to make your own custom character. And I'm so focused on that as a player, usually that I'm like, oh, people people just want to, they just want to make their own character. But the fact that people have really embraced them and made a big deal about how their uh, lore now has really been gratifying for me as a writer, because now I'm like, okay, like I gotta, I gotta make that world full of creatures and dragons and towns and magical artifacts be equally exciting. Uh, and, and, and I, I think it will be, but it's been a really wonderful precedent. I think people have uh, been really kind in the way they've uh, embraced it. I think Especially because it's a, a playtest so far. <laughs> I think Haley and I would agree about that actually, because the the fandom is actually really supportive of itself. Like even from the beginning, it was very much like um, very intense energy from the beginning. Even 
and um i know that like i for me i'm excited to get like the whole thing because i was like oh i want to create my own characters too I, I have a couple from my fan fiction that i write and um i know there's some people who kind of want to like see that too and so it's like people have asked me it's like they would really love to see like certain of my original characters see um being made into like you know into like the fan lore or whatever and um and as far as like creating it and seeing what i could do with it and so that's always exciting because the dragon prince fandom is just really supportive of like itself and other fans and i've always found that to be true um right yeah it's a whole lot less toxic than some right <laughs> so <laughs> at some points yeah <laughs> right yeah. now it's it's pretty nice right now <laughs> everybody's just kind of a, a star wars fan mm-hmm. at this point for oh, example. that is true oh. star wars. <laughs> i was there when well i wasn't in the voltron fandom but i was i was around and i had friends who were in that and i mean i was in it so you know Taylor was in that, that <laughs> fandom was on fire yeah that would be something if you did a a tabletop rpg for that one <laughs> i'd be scared mm-hmm. but um here you got the next question yeah so what was it like to start, you know, working on a Dragon Prince tabletop RPG? And how would you say it's probably different uh, since this is an existing IP? How is it different than starting from scratch, basically? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's it, it does give you a target that you're aiming for, right? I mean, we know that we want to be able to play characters that have the that represent the characters in the show. We also want to have the ability to make you know, people's original characters. So but you also have limits on what you can and can't do. You know that going in just from the show, there are some things that people can't do. Not everybody can be Callum. Not everyone can be, you know, uh, well, certainly no one can be Erebos. And so those sorts of things, you know that going in before you start designing, what are my limits? What are my areas that I can have people play in? And then you kind of go from there. And I think that the feeling is always like you're playing in someone else's sandbox. I think Dan, it's much of our feelings like we, where is where is the edge of that sandbox right like we don't want to step over the edge and suddenly be in dangerous territory where we've either spoiled something for people for later seasons which we obviously don't want to do (laughs) or make up something that's in the there that becomes sort of treated as being official or canon and yet somehow the creators suddenly feel regretful that that was introduced because right up until now they've been in complete control and here is us making these sort of example characters and submitting them to them to review. And then they say, that sounds good. We'll approve them. But um, that's the biggest difference. And making something of your own, making an original thing, your own IP, I guess, as you want to call it, none of that matters. You know, you, it's all yourself. Um, and here, this is the, the kind of the place in role-playing games that I like the most. I like to play in someone else's property stuff, but, but be authentic and be respectful of it. That's my. That's where I get a lot of thrill out of it. Is is creating things that way. I agree. I think that like, especially that's been able to be more, um, more, pro- more professional, and more into a po- become more popular in the mainstream too. In general, as I think the concept and the organization, if we call it, a fandom, almost has re- kind of arisen over the years. Because I kind of mm-hmm. remember when that fandoms and stuff that wasn't really like. Like I'm 27, so I'm not like super old or anything, but like I'm old enough to, I was born in 94. I was old enough. I had dial-up. That's, you know, (laughs) I had dial-up for a while. You experienced that era, yeah. I was at the tail end of that era. You know, I couldn't make a call without being on the internet at the same time. But at that time, you know, like being a fan and fandoms and stuff was not really like popular, 
you know, it wasn't really like a, a cool thing anyway. It's not, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like I know. I mean, I, I was really into Star Wars and I'm 42. So like when when I was a little kid, you know, I was I was Salacious Crumb from Return of the Jedi for Halloween and everybody knew what that was <laughs> in 1983. Right. Like, so like it, it was 83, but I was this really obscure character for Halloween and everyone knew what it was because it was the number one movie in America. And they're like, oh, you're that weirdo who sits in Jabba the Hutt's lap. But like <laughs> then then came right in the I think era you're talking about this giant gap where nobody really remembered Star Wars. Sure, it came out in special right. editions. Sure, it had a couple animated series here and there, but it became uh, as a judge on a stand up comedy uh TV show once told me when I did Star Wars jokes, some weird 70s movie that no one remembers. <laughs> like, it, it, you know, like it, it, people started to just kind of go like, oh, yeah, there's that thing over there. And the fandom kind of faded. But now it's one of the biggest. Right. And, and it, it is old. But fandoms in general, there wasn't a Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. Yeah. There wasn't really any cinematic universes. Nothing was even like considered like a franchise. Franchises were sports. Yeah. And and yeah. it it really has changed a lot lately, and I like it. I, I think it's a lot of fun to have a. I, I of course we all have original stories rewrite. We love creating s- stuff from scratch, just like anybody who creates stuff from scratch. Just because we're in someone else's sandbox doesn't mean we also have our. We don't have our own stories to tell, but uh, yeah, you know, there's so much uh, fun you can like time wise. Like we they've just they've built this lovely sandbox. Like what an honor to be invited to come, you know, make toys for that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's very fortunate. It takes a lot of time to build a sandbox that people want to play in. This is true. This is very true. Like I'm kind of trying to do that myself with an indigenous young fantasy, and it's just because you don't really see them. And being indigenous myself, and it just it's there's something rewarding where you get to that point where you realize you are starting to fall in love with your own IP. And you're hoping other people will fall in love with it too. And mm-hmm. I think that those things tend to correlate. And I know the Dragon Prince has a lot of love and care in it that um, people take. And having talked to you know a lot of those, a lot of people make it that you can tell there's a lot of love and care that goes into everything. And one thing I noticed from the art book that we got to that we, that we got was that you know every character, even the most minor characters, got like a lot of TLC from the beginning because a lot of their their designs were just well you know (laughs) and so um i agree with all of that but our next question actually um slightly veering off but not really um is as a novice are there ways to play quicker games of ttrpgs (laughs) because for me i want to get into them but also too is there's a level in which it's like um other than like other than watching it it's just like i virtually you virtually don't have the time all the time to be able to to do it sometimes um are there ways to play quicker quicker whether it be in tales of Zadie or just in general well i guess i mean uh we play our weekly roll and keep live stream on twitch uh for fandom uh, playing tales of Zadie right now we do that like in 90 minutes to an hour two to, to two hours so that's like a, a time commitment of some kind, but you may find that if you've been hanging out with friends talking about, you know, characters for two hours, you've done the same thing, right? Um, my first suggestion would be for anyone thinking about role-playing games is to get used to being able to talk in character and get used to making decisions and having that decision be thrown out to the rest of the group 
to see whether you'll be able to get away with it or not. Like if you decide, I want to uh, bake this cake and everyone says, no, I don't want you to bake a cake. Well, then obviously you've got to, you know, there's, there's a conflict, right? Um, if you spend the entire time saying, I want to do a thing, everyone says, yep, that sounds cool. And you're just all agreeing with each other and so on. That's still kind of the, the role-playing thing. But where the game comes in is settling those disputes where we don't really know if you're going to make it or not. We don't know if Rayleigh can jump across that chasm or not. We don't know if Kellum can make his sky magic spell work or not. And that's kind of what the role of the, the game is. I mean, on, on top of giving you these characters you can kind of look at and sort of describe and, and understand what their personalities are like and whether one's stronger or one's faster, you also have the game, which provides that uh, tool to, to settle those things. So if you don't have the game itself, you can still try this out and you say, okay, let's just do some role-playing, right? I'm going to be Callum, you be Ezra, or I'm going to be Diane, and you can be Vinaya, whatever. Let's just do through a, kind of a, a scene and see how that works out. And if you find that quite often you're not sure what would happen next, uh, those are places where the game comes in. So that's my my suggestion, at least. It's not the best, necessarily the best way to start off with RPGs, but people have... Uh, probably the first hurdle to get across is feeling comfortable making decisions for a character that they're playing that isn't them. And once they get past that kind of like improv acting side of it, uh, and then being open to the fact that someone else will come along and change change what you do, uh, decide that you can't do that or won't do that. Um, you know, I think Dan, do you, do you find that improv is a huge big uh, lead into RPGs if you're it or not? Yeah, and I would um I've I feel like I've I've set up and run so many games as a game master that uh, I can offer a little bit of that. It's just it's just a matter of making everyone comfortable. Not everyone likes doing improv. Not everyone and and like you can't make people like it, mm-hmm. right? Like I think I think it can be really fun and easy, but it also has like a lot of stigmas attached to it and some people just hear the word and it's like cilantro to them and they're like I'm one of those people where it tastes like soap no thank you and you try to reassure them and they're like no it's genetic I do not like improv slash cilantro and um the the way the way I think to handle that is like a lot like Cam was saying like a lot of times like first sessions just people figuring out the character if you can do any of that over email one-on-one or like over text message one-on-one uh and get it out of the way it especially if you're doing everything remotely, I think it really helps. You know, uh, if there's not all this quarantine stuff going on, that that could be a fun way to order a pizza and hang out. But like, I think when it feels like attention spans are a little narrower in this remote world, it really helps to just spend some time one-on-one with everybody and be like, hey, what do you want to do? What sounds fun? And really like, just say, you're going to get to be this thing and you don't have to be in character. You don't, you don't have to do any of the real like risky, weird character stuff if you don't want but let's just make make it a character you think is cool and like once they get that reassure them i will not force you to do it but if you want to it'll be fun and then the first session where you're actually there just give them just think of it as like if it's just one off if you're just doing one thing just just think maybe there's only going to be one or two dice rolls but be open to them making crazy choices and just like prep how to yourself improvise what do i need to improvise as a game master like what 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 would make me comfortable and like make a little like spreadsheet or or word doc it's just like a little list of all the ways you'd like to be able to improvise something and in cortex it's like tests contests and challenges right cam so like just be like okay like if i if i throw everybody into let's just say a haunted mansion 
That's where this adventure is going to be. And we're going to have all the doors suddenly shut. What can I do that would be fun rolls? And make just like a list of like fun things that could happen and just wait and see what they do. Don't get your expectations up. Be ready to make one up yourself. So like you've got a list you can pull from and you can even like mix ideas. They never know. They never know if you're mixing it. You can tell them. You can say, oh, that sounds cool. Let me look at what I was going to maybe do. That sounds great. Let's see what the scene is going to be. And and really, you know, have fun with that. And for Tales of Zadia specifically, that's why we've got pre-gen. So hopefully it'll make it easier for folks. You know, it's going to definitely make the play test easier. It's, it's a big reason why we have them for the play test. So you can just dive right in and not uh, have that be sort of a time burden. But also, you know, that's that's hopefully something that'll make it easier for folks who are new to tabletop role playing too with of course the understanding eventually you're going to want to make your own yeah we've got i mean with those six to start with you've got one for somebody you know you can usually you can find a character amongst those six that you think seems cool and even if they're not the absolute best and and favoritist you know in the world you can play it for a bit and then later on when you've got rules for making your own characters like the ones you're talking about to make in your uh, fan fiction you can make those characters you know and then then you can start playing them and making decisions for them i think that the, the trick for me as a uh, game master or as a narrator as we call it in tales of zadia it's the same thing so it's a different name is you don't want to plan out the end like you want to set things up and watch them fall over as the players stumble into them you don't really want to you know script it out and say okay at the end of this cool thing is going to be when the thing comes in and everyone goes yeah it's pretty cool and then he wins <laughs> and then the last minute they, they 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 defeat him like you don't want to plan that but what you do want to say is there's going to be a big thing happening and at some point they'll they'll trigger it right and then it'll happen and they might spend like two hours just goofing around the haunted mansion not <laughs> not triggering off any haunted surprises but you're getting a lot of this whole deep immersive conversations between characters that really reveals who they are and then the last half an hour they're running around scared like like mad you know and that's that's cool so i think that's the yeah trick. Set, set it up and don't don't try and plan no anything. ending give him a multi-step task and the thing we're trying to do is not even have a big bad guy just have things called catalysts where they could be your ally and they they could be an antagonist but really they're dynamic and you can sort of choose how they work into the ending Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense um i know back in kind of and back in the day god it's not even the back that back in the day it was like what maybe two years ago um um was like i i kind of i used to role play like with writing because i know there's like like a lot of especially on tumblr there'd be like rp communities where you write back and forth so Mm -hmm. i think that makes sense when you say that because the exciting part about that was not being surprised by what the other person might do and that's, I think, what, like, you kind of crave is that, like, that surprise and that, that like, see where the adventure is going to go and what could happen. Yeah, when you've got a lot of brains working on the same story, that's going to happen, right? And that's what I often like to, to get across to people. I mean, and especially if you're the game master or the narrator or whatever, then it's you and there are three, four, five other people at the table all with different ideas and thoughts and things that they like and you kind of work as a conductor you just try to facilitate something cool happening you know and occasionally you feel as if you're the opponent right because you feel like, oh, i'm the game master i'm in charge well not really because your job isn't to be uh the person who decides how things go your job is to be the person who helps 
the players have fun with their characters and do the things they want to do and then find out what happens afterwards. I do think one of the best things you can do is consider if your players end up going their separate ways during the adventure, bring them back together eventually. Uh, so, so if they've got a common task, that should happen organically. But we do want to encourage people to split up, which I think some people aren't used to doing in role-playing. And I think as a game master, that, that leads to a lot of fun opportunities. I like to think of it as sort of like there's different kitchens where one person's making the appetizer, one person's making the entree, and one person's making the dessert. And then you got to got to throw them all on the table eventually. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's fun to watch what one person's choices end up becoming and then having them collide with another person's choices. So you've all got separate scenes, but eventually they come together. That really makes the stuff like endings easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys mentioned the fandom a little bit. We talked about it a tiny bit already. But uh, what do you expect the reaction will be when the whole game releases? Since you already were so surprised with the reaction so far. Well, we're going to put a whole lot more stuff in there for them to, to you know, glom onto if they want to. I mean, one of those things that we really ho- kind of hoped for and we, we're still working on is that there'll be lore in here uh, that will be new to people that it's the first time they'll have seen it. And that's exciting, but also really intimidating, right? And it's, again, it's that <laughs> same, it's that line you want to walk between spoiling and, and, and giving away secrets. But if you've read um, like the Book of the Moon or um, uh, the Art of Zadia, Tales of Dragon Prince, I mean, all the books that have come out so far, even Callum's Journal from Scholastic, all of these books are the source now for people's, you know, wiki entries or, you know, conversations about things. Well, I, yeah, uh, I read in that, in that novel that this thing happens. And so that's, that's true. Right. And everyone's like, yeah, that's true. It's not on the show. Right. So it's not, these are, these are revelations that don't come from the animated series, but we all agree that they're real. And so that's where the role-playing game in part comes into it because we're going to be writing a book just a big book of rules and cool things and characters and whatever, but there are going to be things in there no one's seen before. And that's where we don't know the reaction. I mean, like, I don't think that we had any clue the extent to which people would like these pre-made characters we've put out there. But at the same time, a lot of my anticipation and anxiety is about, are we going to make this something that people can learn to play and have fun with? So I have no doubts that Dan's work will be taken well by majority of fans because it's a lot of this cool story stuff and a lot of narrative things and the ideas and things whereas i'm kind of like okay well that's cool but did you have a really rotten time playing this game and no one understood what the dice (laughs) (laughs) and that's the case and i'm like oh no so that's really where my most of my uh uh, fear comes into it that's why we do a play test and that's why we get these yeah here's what i'll say Get your expectations real low and you won't be disappointed, right? We all know that old game. I feel like we all learned that at a young age. Yeah. So there's, there's, we're, we're going to do our best to provide new lore. And, and I want definitely fans to know that I am going to make this as rich and exciting as possible. I really do hope people enjoy the new stuff. We're, the, the bright side is I already know a few of the things from our talks with Wonderstorm that we're going to be able to include are going to be really exciting. I think people are going to appreciate how much uh, the Dragon Prince's world gets new additions to it in the final book. I think it's people are going to be really stoked and we're going to really do everything we can to make it uh, as expansive as possible. And honestly, I think Wonderstorm has been really generous 
And I, you know, to an extent, all the delays that have come with this lockdown world we live in has really made what we're doing feel special. And I think they appreciate, you know, where we're coming in with this book between seasons. Like it's, it's going to be an opportunity for people to learn more about Dragon Prince and get really excited about new things. And I'm really flattered and stoked about what I know is going to be in there. So, you know, we've, we have got a really good groundwork of new exciting stuff. And if we get our way, it's just going to, it's going to knock a few people's socks off how much new stuff we get to put in there. Heck yeah. That's the exciting part. <laughs> yeah. For us, right, Haley? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's getting to see all the new stuff. And that's the, probably the part about the Dragon Prince and Wonderstorm that I love about them over there is that their approach is adding new stuff, knowing that, you know, you want more and you want more stuff about the world. Because I feel like a lot of, I want to say a lot of franchises, a lot of, you know, in the past, it feels, even including even with the video game where they've talked about it, it's, mm. it's like you want to add new stuff, not just kind of hash over what we already played and already seen in the show. Because I feel like that's what tends to happen in a lot of, like, franchises that you hash over what you already know multiple times. And it's like, I, I want more stuff to add. I, you know, we want to expand the world. And so that's the exciting part. Yeah. And and what I'm excited about, too, is how much people are going to add to it just by playing. I think the the best part of this book is, again, they've already been generous. I think you're really going to like what 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 we end up making, because Wonderstorm has been working with us and it's 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 felt really positive and authentic to to all of us here at Cortex. But, you know, on top of that, like, man, it's it's uh, it's going to be just springboards. It's going to it's going to be sort of like improv suggestions. And it's all like so if you see something that you have like, oh, that was in the art book. We're not just going to say like, <laughs> hey, remember, <laughs> remember this land from the art book? We're going to say here is a, a really fun way to use, you know, this part of the human kingdoms in your adventure. And, and we, we, we hope you enjoy that, too. Yeah. And a lot of the two is, is leaving it open for you to make decisions for the what you want to play. And the fan fiction element comes into it hugely, right? Because once you've got this book, you can do whatever you like with it. You know, you can introduce things, yeah. you can make up your own things. You can say, okay, we've got a whole sort of additional primal source I want to have in here called Heart or whatever, right? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's so great. <laughs> none of that's, I mean, none of it that's has a to Captain be, Planet reference, isn't it? It totally is. None of it has to be. It doesn't have to be authentic. I mean, it doesn't have to be canon for, for you to enjoy it. But I think that unlike with us, we, we, we need to make sure that it's authentic and it's, it's official and approved mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But um, the cool thing about RPGs is you can go to town entirely. You can rewrite the entire season three, play it out differently if you want to, and so on, right? Yeah. Like, I, I really want to emphasize what Cam said. Like, he's making a skeleton, and that's really valuable. Cam, Cam, Cam is going to try to make everyone feel like this this expandable, improvisable role-playing world has an atomic core to it. And I'm hoping that is going to really make people feel empowered. I think that's going to be a tricky part. I really want fans of the show to know if you feel like you want to add something at your table, like that's what role-playing is all about. You know, we're, we're just trying to give you the the sandbox. So, it, you know, don't, don't ever second guess what you're doing with this because the whole idea is to have fun. You know, is is and if, if no one's getting hurt, please have fun. Please, please invent and explore and and create. Yeah, um, I agree with that a lot, and I think that sometimes we need to hear that in fandom too, because let's face it, fandom has gotten very intense in the last, like, especially decade. You know, with like basically the rise of the internet, you know, and all the such that 
Um, sometimes I think people forget that it is for fun, you know, and you should be enjoying yourself. It doesn't have to be, you know, this, uh, this thing that you make into like a, a, your job necessarily, like you, you should do it because you enjoy it. And so I like, it's very obvious to us that you guys, um, not that we doubt it, but you guys have taken a lot of time and care into the people who are going to play it. And I think on behalf of Fandom, like, we really appreciate that because you guys have clearly, clearly worked your hearts on this and I'm excited to play it. One of my characters is a, uh, an elf hunter who uses dark magic and uses her blood for her own dark magic. So I'm like curious. I'm like, I want to drop this girl in here and let's see what happens. You know, cause I, she was a character I created like post season one when we didn't really know anything. So I'm like, I'm kind of just very curious. And I think that's exactly the energy you guys are going for there where it's like, let's see what, let's see, let's just see what happens, you know, experimentally. And actually, speaking of characters, um, we're going to ask something that's not totally about the show, but not totally about the RPG, but of course, obviously, kind of goes together. What are your favorite characters from the show? Well, I always tell people it's Claudia because it's true. Um, <laughs> also, because she's the best character. But I like her because she is, in my mind, she is the most conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not, it's not clear what her end goal is or her end state will be. I think people have obviously will guess uh but you know i'm imagining this this is the sort of thing which can go on for quite a while and you know whereas we saw somewhat of a turn with soren after initially thinking he was going to be kind of a jerk um claudia has been the sweetheart the whole time right she's cool nothing wrong with her um (laughs) so i I do like claudia a great deal (laughs) like just a little bit of murder in there it's fine it's fine I really like Rayla. I, I I feel like Rayla represents the wild card of the core group. You 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 really feel like the way she's thrown into the adventure. You don't really know where she's going to end up. Uh, you know, I, I feel like everyone else has got a lot more. Um, uh, how do I put this? Like career baggage about where they're supposed <laughs> to end baggage. up. Yeah, like they they seem to resolve. Yeah. Like like episode one, Rayla kind of fails at her big job interview. So you like you kind of feel like okay, like whatever happens next, it's 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 wide open, and I find that really exciting. But um, yeah, I also in in the novel actually that is very true because in the novel they actually like added the part of like um, where it's like oh she failed she gets to die. It's like oh okay damn. <laughs> That's, yeah, a, that's I, the most intense failed interview I've ever seen. It's real rough. I also like General Amaya. I really am looking forward to see where uh, she ends up. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody loves Amaya. I know for me, Callum, it's always a tie between Callum, Rayla, and Renan. Those are like my my three, my three kind of always tied for the top. I love Renan. God, poor Renan, but I love him so much. Um, and of <laughs> course, he's going to come back and find out that, you know, basically his daughter is now dating the, the human prince she was supposed <laughs> to possibly murder, you know, and that's going to be a whole thing. And I'm very excited. For it. Oh, it's fine. Happy Don't worry. Uh, they'll, they'll split up and he'll be with Claudia. Everything will be fine. No, 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 no. Oh, sorry. no. She does not. Don't tell her. Don't say that. Don't say, that. <laughs> Don't say such things. What's, what's, what's the shipping name for that? that uh, is it Caladia? Is it... Uh, Claudum, what's the? I don't know. How do you say it, <laughs> Tamika? For Callum and yeah. and, Claudia. and Claudia. What is that? That's you're a stand for that ship, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it's called. 
Claudium, uh, yeah. That's called Claudium. Mm, I'm a Raylan stan. So I'm like... <laughs> Oh, yep. well, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, Haley, what about you? Um, well, my favorite um, character is Soren, but I really love his whole family as, you know, as bad as they can be sometimes, but they're pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Varen is so mad. I love, I like, I love all the characters. Like, objectively, I do love all the characters. Varen is so messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like we're, so... we're still waiting to see kind of like, like how, what Varen's Endgame is with Erebos mm-hmm. too. Like I think there's a lot of fun tension there where it feels like it's Viren is kind of like on the surface seems really evil, but they're in, in those private moments you get to see on the show, it does seem like maybe Viren is like holding on to a kernel of something. And it's 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 a really, really weird uh balance that he's gotta he's mm-hmm. gotta kind of keep to stay sane. It's it's he's Yeah, he's a great <laughs> character. He's a great, well, great, great, greatly great character. My theory is that Erevos is totally going to like discard Viren or put him aside to get to Claudia because Claudia is clearly very valuable like as a person probably more easily impressionable that yeah, is my prediction so, except because she's also the best character right <laughs> well yes of course Maybe. I'm hoping Erevos just turns into like a beautiful butterfly and then yes. like it's, it's and then it's just like you. all tension is gone <laughs> like all, like you know what I mean like Viren's got to deal with the fact that like this creature that seemed very manipulative and intelligent turns out to just be this super chill, like hippie butterfly now. And <laughs> it, it like, doesn't even want to hang out with Viren anymore. Just like, I want to go hang out in the woods. And Viren's like, what about our plan for domination? Like, yeah, I'm a butterfly. Leave me alone. I went through some changes. I love that part in season three where um, he's like, he's asking, he's essentially asking him, what's, what's your end game? And Viren's kind of just walking around and be like, I want a bright future for humanity. I want, you know, vanity to flourish. And Viren's like, so you want to conquer Zadia. So <laughs> so the, let me get this straight. Your plan is to conquer Zadia, right? Like like let's stop, you know, <laughs> all the BS. Like you 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 want to do some some little bit of world domination here. I'm cool with that, but I need to be on the same page, you know. Like yep. um And Viren actually is the the he's the big inspiration for why we have these catalysts in the in the story. These this, this thing, these characters that you can change because there is a there is a version of of a, like an alternate universe of the Dragon Prince show where Viren doesn't do what he does and becomes more, you know, helpful and and kind of gets a bit of a sense of the fact that elves aren't all just monsters. But it, that's very 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 hard road to to get to from some of the choices he makes. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, but you know, this this grew out of an idea of of Dan's to have uh, what he was calling mini bosses, like you know, when most uh ttrpg adventures there's always a big bad or some kind of evil monster or something but we like the idea that there are several sort of they haven't become those yet and as a result of the choices the players make one or more of them basically get elevated to the point of being an actual big bad or um a heroic ally or something right so we provide a bunch of these sorts of catalysts and then you as you play the game and make choices with your characters turn them into the bad guy in the story yeah and it's your fault not it's not their fault i I love that yeah Yeah, like uh think of it this way like you don't know who the boss at the end of level eight is but Mm -hmm. you you meet the boss at the end of level one four Mm -hmm. and you're like you're cool let's hang out and they're like all right bye and then there's no fight and then you meet the boss at the end of mini boss at the end of uh, level two, four, and you're like, you suck. And they're like, what? And you don't fight, but they're like, I can't believe you said I sucked. And then you walk <laughs> away, you don't fight. But then like, because you told the one you liked them and you told the other they sucked, 
they they keep showing up at the part four of each level. And then by level eight, the one you said uh, sucked at level two, four has evolved into the final boss. Uh, it's sort of sort of like that. You, you just you, you go to one and you say, you you suck, you rule. <laughs> and then uh, they they blossom or wilt based off of your choices a little. I mean, it's it's much more dynamic than that. But I do like this idea of the final boss not being determined when you start up your first session. Yeah, I love that actually. That's very. They're powerful. They're supposed to be powerful characters with very strong motivation, and it's about how you react to that that they become either sort of like fundamentally good or bad because it, so many tables like there's there different versions of morality, right? Like you decide as a group where you stand with these characters, and they'll they'll react to it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you hate the idea of like you know taking the energy from magical creature to do magic and yet you're fine with elves assassinating and killing humans then there's obviously your moral sort of universe lives in one place but if you're against all of that stuff then you have a different point of view i think that's really interesting thing about the show is that it doesn't really present anything necessarily as being flat out evil even though it really does seem that way sometimes but there are people in the, in the show, characters who don't think that. Like, they don't know they're bad guys. I mean, Varun doesn't think he's a bad guy. At some yeah. point, they might go, am I the bad guy in the story? Which is the fun moment when you're like, holy crow, I've just looked back and seen all these horrible things I've just done. I might be the bad guy. But motivation-wise, we don't want to give them that. They don't want to say, your motivation is you're evil. Because uh, that meaning doesn't mean... No. Yeah, like, you, maybe you made some really bad choices, but to just say, you're evil is, I, I think, not fun. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so since you mentioned, like, Virian, and, you know, he's going to be a catalyst, right? And same with, like, Erevos, I think. And considering that the story is taking place in between season three and four, right? So... How will these kinds of characters that you don't really know their status 100%, like in Claudia too, how could they, if you can say, how could they play a role in the story? Um, I would say, and Dan has maybe another view on this too, but at least in terms of what we can and can't do, we're going to present them kind of where they are at at that time. And because some of them may be catalysts, some of them may just be sort of like, you know, alternate player character type choices and things you will then be able to do what you want with them right you can go ahead and tell all kinds of stories with you know season three to season four Rayla if you were if you felt like it but at the very least we hope that we've captured enough of that character that anything that does happen on the show later on makes sense for how we've written them up in the the game stats so that we're not contradicting something that happens in the future but we're not giving away anything if that makes any sense to you. Interesting. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to do is create enough original characters from scratch that Wonderstorm likes that I'm 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 able to create a ton of lore from scratch, and and I can put it in a lot of familiar geographical locations that people will feel like no matter what they do, it's not going to really like not fit in with the show and the the beauty of it is i think wonderstorm has been again so generous with what they're letting us play with that it'll feel like they're really just doing themselves a favor and they're just letting more lore exist and by virtue of that organically maybe they'll just kind of look back at this time between season three and four and and see how it affects but chronologically you know we're we're trying to make sure that you know we don't step on their toes they're making sure 
they don't step on ours, of course. And I think it, it, it should all work out. But, you know, the um, the beauty of it, I think, is going to be people just doing whatever they want in these sessions. You know, we're going to we're going to, again, not be saying what the end is. We're not yeah. going to say at the end of this book, this happens. It's going to be here's the players. Here's the field. Enjoy your session. So we're taking a, a snapshot, making it as dynamic and alive as possible. And you get to decide where that goes. And, and there's no way we can control that. No way Wonderstorm or the Dragon Prince crew can control that. So we're just sort of letting you enjoy wherever it takes you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if the show changes in a way that makes you feel kind of like, well, just remember this, what happened to you was taking place in a snapshot chronologically. And we, you know, we hope that as we evolve our relationship, that we can find new and exciting ways to have things happen between seasons and all that stuff. That all sounds really exciting, actually. Um, my brain yeah. is already like thinking of just things as like things that could happen. I like mm-hmm. the idea of too, like um, just seeing the amount of things and people who could also get into it, and the amount of people that could. You know, especially in this hiatus, you know, that we're in right now, it's probably going to be here for a while. Um, that just seeing that and just like, I think this could really help the fandom just kind of like feel again, like, you know, get that sense of the show again and get that sense of wonder um, with the show. Um, and so we know we only have like five ish minutes, I believe, with you guys. So we're going to try to rapid fire some things slightly. Um, so what's your favorite episode from the show? Oh, I'll have you go first, Dan. What's your favorite episode? Uh, let's see. You know, I'm going to go real easy on this one. The one where Callum and Rayla finally kiss, because let's be honest, hey. big release attention. They've been, they've been <laughs> going through the midnight desert. They've they've met Nyx, which is the most interaction you've gotten really with a Skywing elf so far. Mm-hmm. Nyx turns it, so you've gotten to have a Nyx adventure. You just come off of that. Uh, it's just it's just like a finally moment. I always, whenever I watch a sitcom, I'm like, when are Jim and Pam just gonna kiss? Just get, just let Jim and Pam kiss for the love of God. Just let it happen. <laughs> and so that was I was I was relieved when they they had that part happen, and it, it seemed to happen at a really cool part of the adventure where they were ramping up towards the storm spire. So that was yeah, that was it didn't it didn't jump a shark either when they happened. Um, my favorite moment, I guess, the episode where uh, Claudia finally spills the beans to Callum about, um, you know, his dad mm. and everything, and I like that episode the, too. the fact that he has to go and tell his brother, and there's a choice about whether he does or not. I felt that whole thing was so well done because, you know, in some stories you got people saying, "Oh, obviously he's going to get super mad and screaming and the whole thing," but he doesn't do that. He goes and sits with his brother for a bit and. It's amazing, and that that was so well written that that was that was the moment for me. I think when I realized the show was going to be uh, really great, not just good, but really great because they they manage grief uh, extremely well, um, and they also manage secrets very well. And so that's that was a kind of a hallmark moment of like if someone comes along and tries to use secrets to manipulate you and knowledge to manipulate you, like Claudia does, to get you know him onto her side. But it doesn't work how she thinks it's going to work, um, and that was really good. So I think that was pretty much my my favorite moment early on. Agreed. I actually love both of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could cross over the Dragon Prince with any other IPs 
of the other IPs you have worked with, which one would you choose? That's a weird one. Your turn so to go I, first, Kim. <laughs> I have worked with Supernatural, Marvel Comics, uh, TV show Leverage, and TV show Smallville. And I'm thinking I would love to see Sam and Dean Winchester show up in Zadia with oh. all these characters and go, uh -oh. which ones are the monsters? What's going on? And then realizing that maybe they're kind of the bad guys in this situation because mm -hmm. you don't want to just hunt them down. So yeah, I think Supernatural and and uh, Dragon Prince would be a cool crossover. That'd be wild. <laughs> Actually, that'd be a lot of seasons of that. <laughs> <laughs> 15, so that's 15 all. seasons. Dan is still thinking. He's just like, wow. It's so hard. This kind of stuff is so hard. Uh, Not I'm trying Rick and Morty. To... Huh? No. <laughs> I, I promise I won't say Rick and Morty, but I am trying to think of like, <laughs> what is like... Um, here, I, I'm just gonna go jokey on this one, uh, but people, if, if any, if, you know, th if you remember, there was uh, a supplemental series to the live action version of Alf. There was a cartoon of Alf where he's on planet Melmac before his planet explodes because that's the premise of the live action show, which you know is is many people have argued is the dumbest corniest show of all time. But I digress. <laughs> I loved it when I was a kid because there was a puppet. So hear me out. Mm -hmm. There was this very silly cartoon that was very funny and it was better written as a cartoon than the live action version. Oh my gosh. It was okay. great. I've never it seen was, it. So it's called Alf the, Alf the Animated Series. It's very hard to find because it was eventually supplanted by Alf Tales, where Alf got turned into a bunch of Aesop's fables and that was more popular, but it wasn't as good. And so I would love if Alf, like, or like, this is so dumb. I, what I was trying to think of is like, if it, I would love like a science fiction to overlap. I would love to someone from another planet to somehow be able to uh, come in, you know, the way Guardians of the Galaxy started to merge its outer space adventures with it, what was happening on Earth. I think that would be cool. But I'm having a hard time thinking of like what a good sort of parallel is in, you know, like a, a, a same similar tone science fiction. It would be, it'd be really hard. I figure out though, Dan, when you have when you worked on Alf the animated series because of the part of the question was that you worked with was it was it I missed that part that was the part but yeah. I also take that answer I mean that, that was a great well, answer well listen that was a ride, I, I don't know I, anything about Alf <laughs> when I worked at when I worked at Mad Magazine I was trying to get a Marvel DC crossover to happen in a world oh, of man. parody because uh -huh. we, were, we we all worked in parody, right? So I will say I worked at Mad Magazine. I would get Spy versus Spy to overlap with the Dragon Prince. They get, <laughs> you get, get them coming in. Get the oh. white the white spy and the black spy setting up all these elaborate traps with fantasy elements. Let's see that. Which happen. of them are going to try and recruit uh, Moonshadow Assassin to help them? Is my question. Oh man! But here's what you do: you get a Moonshadow spy. You get you get Ooh. a spy that's got little pointy ears and uh, four fingers on each hand and horns. Uh, and horns yes. I forget the horns. Oh yeah, I always wonder too in the show, and I'm, I'm I just assume I assume the hoods are enchanted, but in the show their hoods don't like the the moonshadow hoods just like kind of flat against their head, and I'm like, and I don't think I just think that one wasn't totally a hundred percent thought through that little detail. So I just assume their hoods are enchanted to hide the horns. <laughs> that's my that's my head cannon for why that is the way it is. So it could still work out. I'll take that to them and ask them what's going on, and they'll come back and say. Ask them, ask them, and be like, "Hey, what's with the hood?" That's the Do question I... you never, you never can ask this question here. Oh, oh. 
It's such a hard question. I, I, I've had to take IP crossovers so seriously because of my job that it just, it's mm-hmm. like, I, I think about the granular element of it for it to have to be one I worked on. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's great. Um, well, I will give as one last question, more of a silly question because I am contractually obligated and we are at the end mm-hmm. of our interview with, I know you guys have busy days to get to, but I am contractually obligated to ask one random question per interview. So will there be some opportunities for random scenarios either officially or fan initiated? What with, with Rayla and Callum together in a scenario of some kind, a tale? Yeah. I'm just contractually obligated to ask a random question per interview. Um, it's the beginning of the second act is when uh, they split up and the third act is when I I, I can't spoil. (laughs) Yeah, mess with her, you're messing with her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold yeah, it there, to there's, there's absolutely every way that you can have stories with those characters from the show as well. It, it, it's completely, that's the that's the whole point. Yep. Yeah. Play your own characters, play the TV show characters. It's all good. Bless. Awesome. All right. Then. Well, well, I think that is all we have for you today. And I believe you guys have some pretty busy days. Um, so thank you everyone for tuning in and thank you to dan and cam for joining us today for bringing us join us today and thank you for putting so much work and heart into this uh role-playing game it's going to be amazing and i think we're all looking forward to it and you can tell that you guys put a lot of care into it so thank you very much thank you Um, yeah we really appreciate it this is uh the real reason we do all this stuff is is fans at the end of the day so yeah If I could just plug real quick to my ALF animated series tabletop (laughs) role-playing game. Uh, uh, It'll be a melmac.biz.gov. Just just hop on over there and uh, enjoy. I'm glad it's happening now. We made it happen. In a year, we'll keep pre-ordering. Yeah. Yeah, Wait for the subreddit. It's going to be hot. All right. Well, we appreciate that. We will look out for that. Um, until then, uh, peace out. This has been Tamika and Haley from the Hot Brown Morning Potion Podcast. Uh, signing off. Bye.